If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, And verse 4, and uh, when we were dividing up um, what we were going to preach this month, my Carlton was on a sabbatical, I kind of accused the other elders of giving me this because I have five children. Uh, and, uh, and I got looking at it and I said, well, you know, this is one verse, but, you know, it continues to amaze me how God's Word can say so much in such an economy of words. And this is one verse. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a lot in there. And uh, I must confess, and I don't want to scare anybody off, this really shouldn't be one sermon. This should be probably a series. So uh, uh, I'm going to do my best to condense it uh, I will make myself available for questions afterward because uh, some of you may have some, but, um, but here we go. And I, and I must add this, too. I confess to my wife and my children that I wish I had prepared for this sermon 25 years ago. Uh, uh, it, uh, it has been very convicting to me. Uh, a lot of the uh, younger couples will come to us, and Tammy and I, and... Uh, ask us certain things, and I always say, I can give you a long list of what not to do. Uh, I could probably write a book on that. But thank God I'm not the standard. His word is. So anyway, but um, just to give a little uh, background uh, to what Paul's addressing, all the way back into verse, uh, chapter 5 where he starts dealing with the family, just want to give you a little historical groundwork about where Paul's coming from and how countercultural this message really is. Paul is writing the epistle of Ephesians from prison in Rome. Uh, and uh, it's a Roman society. Ephesus is a, is a, is a Roman-governed state. Heavily Greek culture, Roman law abides in Ephesus. And uh, this is just one thing that uh, I found when I was... Uh, preparing for this sermon, that uh, this is what it was like in Rome. Rome had a law that was called patria potestas, which literally means father power. In the Roman culture, the father had absolute power over his family and his children, and there was no age limit. The father uh, had the um, really power of life and death over his child. He could sell his children into slavery. He could make them work in the fields with, uh, with the slaves in chains. Uh, like I said, absolute authority over his family. And in fact, when a child was born, it could be brought and laid at the feet of the father. And if the father picked it up, the child was allowed to live. If he got up and walked away, the child was disposed of. So that's, what, that's the, the, the culture that, that Paul uh, is writing to. And when he talks about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord and children are to obey their parents, 
uh, and honor their parents. And now that fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's very countercultural. And you know what? It's countercultural today, where we have tens of thousands of children being aborted in the womb every year. Uh, we have abuse, we have abandonment. Uh, we have child pornography. Uh, we, ha- we have a culture that is not unlike what Paul is dealing with now in, in, in this passage. We deal with it now. But just like to give you a, a little bit more insight too in this, I'd like to read, uh, found this letter from a man named Hilarion to his wife in 1 B.C., He's a Roman soldier, and he he greets his wife, Alice. He says, heartiest greetings. Know that we are still even in Alexandria. Do not worry when all others return. I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. And if good luck to you, you have a child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. The Roman orator Seneca says, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we stick a knife and uh, plunge a knife in the sickliest cattle. Children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. Like I said, that's the society we're looking at right there. And, uh, and like I said, not unlike what we have today. So, in this passage, we're given two commands one's negative. And one's positive. One, don't provoke your children to anger and to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But one thing we have to remember is, is that children are a blessing from the Lord. And in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in, with their enemies in the gate. So children are a gift from the Lord. Uh, Eve even realized this in Genesis 4.1. As far back as that, it says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And... Uh, we see throughout Scripture how God opens and closes the womb uh, in cases of Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, uh, and other uh, women of, of Scripture. We see that uh, God is in control. His sovereignty is even over the children uh, that are born. So, uh, so with that, children being a gift from the Lord, what, are the, what is the condition of, the, of our children when they were born? Uh, Turn to Psalm uh, 51, verse 5, if you would. And David gives great insight. Uh, I encourage you all, while you're turning, uh, read the Psalms uh, every day. Uh, Read Proverbs. We're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs today. Read those every day. Uh, The the Psalms give great insight into uh, uh, how we can worship God, and the Proverbs give us great uh, practical understanding about how we're to live our daily life. So I encourage you in that. But David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that doesn't mean that he was 
uh, born in an illicit relationship or whatever, what David is saying there is he was born a sinner. We, we all are. And uh, one interesting thing I found, and this is from uh, a secular source, believe it or not, but listen how the Minnesota Crime Commission describes uh, our children. It says this, it says, Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmates, toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these once, and he seizes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, and no developed skill. This means that all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child will grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. Our depravity left unchecked, we, we will sink to the deepest depth that we can even imagine. And that's who our children, as beautiful as they are, as innocent as they look, that's what you're dealing with as a parent. So, uh, so what is our role? I mean, what are we to do? Uh, first of all, let's look at, uh, like I said, there's two commands. Let's look at the negative command. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, that word translated father is patares, and it, it can be translated as it is in Hebrews eleven twenty three, when speaking of the parents of Moses. Speaking of parents, because mothers, you don't want to provoke your children to anger either. So I think that's what Paul has in mind here is, is, is both parents. So, um, but what is it? What does it mean to provoke? And just in what I could find, provoking is an ongoing pattern of treatment. And, and it's also, it's, the term is only used here and in Romans 10, 19, where it talks about God provoking Israel to jealousy. Okay? But it's an, it's a, it's an ongoing parent, parent, uh, pattern of treatment, often unintentional. Sometimes we provoke our kids in, in the ways we're going to look and thinking that we're doing it for their own good. And I'm going to go through a bullet point list of some different things. Like I said, for, for time's sake, won't expound on every one of them. But sometimes it's not intentional. Uh, uh, it's not intentional. But what it leads to is a deep-seated resentment and anger that manifests itself in outward hostility. It, w it will come out. Okay? So what are some ways we provoke our, our children? Um, like I said, I'm going to go through a list of uh, bullet points, and uh, you just kind of file these away in your mind or jot them down and, and see what you think. One is to uh, spoil your child. How do we do that? Give him everything they want. Give in to... Uh, but because uh, uh, you don't want to take the time to, uh, to say no and deal with it, you give him everything he wants. When he disobeys, scold him a little, but never spank him. We're going to talk a little bit more about the spanking aspect too. Make him dependent on you. 
Don't teach him anything or give him any responsibility. When he's dependent on you, when you're not there, he will find things in either either sex or substances that will will cure that need for dependence. Tell him it's never his fault. It's always that mean old teacher's fault, that mean old coach's fault, your friends, you know, they're bad at influence, it's their fault. The authorities are just picking on you, it's their fault, and so on. Make all his decisions for him so he doesn't learn from his mistakes. Just, just do it all for him. Criticize his other parent, and he'll lose respect for that parent. When he gets into trouble, bail him out. Don't let him ruin your reputation. Never let him suffer the consequences of his behavior. Solve all his problems for him. Don't bother him with chores. Don't make him work. Don't teach him that responsibility. Give in to the temper tantrums. Believe his lies. Just to touch on that, never... Parents, never think your child will tell you the truth. (laughs) And this is one thing my children can testify in our household. When you're caught in a lie, it takes a while to build that trust back up. It does. You have to be discerning as a parent. Your children will lie to you. I lied to mine. And like I said... This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with depraved, as like I said, as beautiful and cute as they are. We're, 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 we don't outgrow de- depravity. We're, not, we're not, not born depraved and become depraved sometimes and then you know, outgrow it sometimes. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Also, criticize others openly. He will believe he's better than everybody else. You know, everybody, point out everybody else's fault. Never point out his. And give him an allowance and require him to do nothing for it. He'll learn, you know, not to, not to value money, not to be a steward with the resources that God provides him with because he's always been indulged in that. And the list goes on. We, we could go on and on. And another way to provoke your child to anger is to neglect your child. Don't listen to him. I've been working all day, son. I don't, you know, I'm tired. Daddy just wants to sit down, eat supper, and watch TV. I don't have time for your questions. Don't listen to them. Assume that they will grow out of a certain behavior. Ah, he's all right. It's just a phase he's going through. It'll pass. It may pass, but it won't pass to something better. Farm your kids out to strangers so you don't have to miss out on what you want to do. You know, I'm, not, I'm a grandfather now. I love my granddaughter. And, I, and I'm not talking about, 
you know, putting your children under the influence of their grandchildren. Not talking about that at all. But when, it, when, when the intention of the parent is to get the kids out of their hair so they can go have fun and, 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 not, uh, and, and not have children to do with, and that becomes, a, that becomes a regular practice. And let me explain. I may be talking about extremes here. There's degrees of every one of these points that I'm bringing out right here. But when that's your intention, the child will pick up on that. Fail to sacrifice for them. I'm not going to give up. I'm not. I'm not going to give up uh, what I want to do to uh, do something for my child. Um, I worked with a man for for several years who never saw had two daughter, daughters. Never saw his girls play any sporting event because he refused to work through his lunch hour in order to make them. He refused to sacrifice for his kids and then became bitter about it later and blamed the company I worked for because he was not willing to sacrifice an hour's lunch to go spend time and, and, and support his girls in, in an activity they were doing. Um, don't take them places because you can't be bothered. It's just, you know... No, no kid rule right here because it, it, it would hinder our fun. And another's using abusive words. Remember, your vocabulary as an adult and a parent and a child's vocabulary are very different. And I have done this. You can hurt your children with words more than you will ever know. And just keep that in mind. And also physical abuse. We're going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about the rod. But that's totally different than inflicting pain on your child for the sake of inflicting pain and wanting to make them hurt with no instruction behind it. And an example of this neglect, if you want a biblical example, I know I'm up here giving a lot of points, but if you look in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18, look at the, look at the relationship with David and his son Absalom. Uh, David had many sons, had many wives. David was a man after God's own heart. David was not a good father. He was not a good father. Just to give you a short synopsis of the story, when you start in chapter 13... David has a son named Amnon. He has a son by a different wife than his son Absalom, who has a sister named Tamar. Amnon rapes his sister, Tamar, and David does nothing about it. Absalom becomes angry. Absalom comes to the point where he hates his father. He hates his father so much that he leads a coup to remove him as king of, uh, of Israel and searches out his father to kill him. That's what neglecting your child can lead to. Those extremes. I said never think that it will stop at a certain point and not get any worse. That is a dangerous assumption. Another way is favoritism. When you have more than one child, to favor one child over the other. Um, That child will favor the parent that favors them. And an example of that, you see Jacob and Esau. You know, Jacob loved Esau. 
or Isaac loved Esau, Isaac, and I'm, I'm sorry, Isaac loved Esau, favored him more. Rebecca favored Jacob. And we see, you can see the tensions of that throughout uh, Genesis. And even to this day with what's going on uh, in that part of the world. And, and also Joseph and his brothers. You know, Jacob didn't learn from the favoritism that his parents showed to him and his brother. He did the same thing to Joseph, which led to um, him being sold into slavery into Egypt, which God meant for good, but his brothers meant it for evil. And it didn't excuse them, and it was all because their father favored him over them. So, the other side of this is that sometimes it's not what we do, but what we don't do that provokes our children and leads them. Uh, and that leads us to the positive command that God gives us uh, in this uh, verse, and that's to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way of the Lord, and even when he was old, he will not depart from it. Now, one thing you have to remember about Proverbs, these are axiomatic statements. When you read that, when you read that you train up a child in the way of the Lord, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it, that is not a guarantee of salvation. It's not. That's the sovereign work of God. But the thing about it is, is we're commanded to train a child up in the ways of the Lord, and even when he's old, as far as not departing from it, if God does not call him to salvation, it will, it will not be because he was ignorant of the information. You see, you see what I'm saying? When we, and, and let me add this right now. When we teach our child and raise our child and discipline our child and raise them up and do everything that we're going to talk about, remember, salvation is a sovereign work of God. But, but, but remember this also. God's relationship to your child is mediated through his parents. And we're, we're going to see that in Scripture right here in a minute. Um, bring them up. The, t the, t the teaching begins at birth and continues as long as the children are in your home. Raising children is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not easy. It's work. Just like your marriage is work. Men... When you get married, before you're married, it was all about you in a sense. When you're married, it's not all about you anymore. You're, you're, you're to shepherd your wife, cover your wife, bathe her in the washing of the water of the word. Women, before you're married, it is all about you in a sense. But then when you're married, you're to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. When you have children, it is definitely not all about you. You... The more children you have, the lower you go down on the not about you. That's why, you're, that, that's why this is so important. And th this is why God holds us to such a standard is because the relationship, the way he reaches our children or the way he intends to reach our children is through us as parents. So... What, it, what we as parents must recognize is that the problem with our children is not external, it's internal. Turn to Proverbs 4, verses 20 and 23, through 23. 
Or if you don't want to turn there, just listen. That's, that's fine. Starting in verse 20, it says, My son, give, in, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And this is a father speaking to his son. This is a, this is a parent speaking to their son or daughter. Verse 22, for, well, it's 21, it says, Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Jesus says in Mark 7, 21 through 23, says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And in Luke 6, 45, it says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks that from which fills his heart. So our children do not have a behavior problem. They have a heart problem. And that's where we as parents have to begin our instruction to them. Like I said a while ago, we don't outgrow our depravity. And our, and our, and our discipline instruction, and instruction is of the Lord. And like I said, it's, it's, the ultimate goal of parenting is salvation and sanctification of your child. That's the ultimate goal. That, that's, that's the purpose of when it says the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that's the goal. Not to, not, to, not to raise nice kids. Not to raise well-behaved kids. But to raise godly kids. And there's a passage in Genesis 18 that, um, no telling how many times I've read it, and I'll just read it for you, uh, that, that I really overlooked the last part of what it says. And it's when... The angel of the Lord and the other two angels have come down and they meet with Abraham in Genesis 18 and they're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sinfulness. And it says in verse 16, it says, Then the man rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation? And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Listen to verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. We are children of Abraham by faith. And one of the purposes for God choosing Abraham was so that he might tell his children, and they would tell their children's children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. I've missed, I missed that before. Probably read that a hundred times and, and, and just never clicked. But anyway, so what does it mean to, uh, to raise your child in discipline? And, and the, the word translated discipline here is paideia, which 
literally means to rear a child. That, that's what the word means. It's, it's, um, uh, it includes training, it includes instruction, and it includes learning. And as we teach these, we, these are achieved through negative and positive reinforcement. Now, kids, you're probably not going to be thrilled about what I'm fixing to talk about now. But what is, um, what, what is the negative reinforcement? Like I said, we know our children are born sinners, and their nature is to rebel against authority, and their self-will must be controlled. And I want to read a quote by, quote by Susanna Wesley. And Susanna Wesley had 17 uh, <clears throat> children, including John and Charles. She once wrote this, The parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the saving of a soul. The parent who indulges self-will does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him to drown his child, soul, and body forever. A child's self-will must be controlled, must be broken. So, what is the negative reinforcement? Corporal punishment, spanking. I... I know there are tons of books out there by people with degrees that long on the backside of their name that will say spanking is wrong, it is harmful, um, it corrupts your child or it warps your child and, and, and all that. And going back to what I said a while ago, correction, physical correction, without instruction, is abuse. I will totally agree with that. But let's look and see what the Word of God says. Corporal, corporal punishment or spanking or, or applying the rod, there's four aspects of it. One in Proverbs 13, 24, it is supposed to be, it should be done out of love. It says, he who withholds the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So it's to be done out of love. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says it removes foolish behavior. Foolishness, starting in verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. It also rescues the soul. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 says, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. And also, the rod imparts wisdom. And uh, in verse 15 of uh, Proverbs 29, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So, when we apply negative reinforcement or or the rod of correction to the child. And, you know, the Proverbs even say, you know, the rod is applied to the back of a child. And that's speaking of the backside. It even tells you where to hit them. There's a lot back there. I, I'm thoroughly convinced there's more back there than we actually need. I mean, uh, but, uh, and, you know, like it says um, in uh, uh, 13 through 14, they will not die. 
Pain, one thing that we have a misconception of is that pain is a bad thing. Pain is not a bad thing. Pain teaches us a lot of lessons. I remember reading one time about, about, the, about leprosy, and, and the reason leprosy is such a, a dreadful disease, and, and you, you know, we call it, medical term now, I think is Hansen's disease. But you see these pictures of people who are missing their noses and, and their fingers and everything. The horror of leprosy is that it destroys the nerve endings where you do not feel pain. And I, I've read instances where a, 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 a rusty lock at an orphanage where there were leprous children, was uh, uh, the key was rusted in it and it couldn't be turned. And a little boy about 10, 12 years old comes up and he turns the lock. And opens it. And the worker says, wow, how, does he do, how did he do that? And then looks down and there's a huge gash in his hand. Because he didn't know how much pressure. Where anybody else would not have applied enough pressure to open that lock. He couldn't feel it. And now he's got a huge gash in his hand. He's bleeding and he doesn't even know it. So pain is to teach us. I mean, even now when we're sick, when we feel pain, we know something's wrong. We know to get it treated. Well, the same thing when you apply the rod of discipline to your child. The pain is to reinforce the lesson that you're teaching them. Like I said, the, the, the correction without the instruction is abuse. I won't disagree with that at all. That's why you explain to your child. And you tell them why this happened. And, and with that, uh, you know, the pain of the rod of correction is to teach them that the behavior is not uh, acceptable. And it should be done, like I said, out of love to remove that foolish behavior, rescues the soul and imparts wisdom. So, and, and I will say this, there are other methods that, should be used in addition to, but not in place of. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know um, uh, sticking a child in the corner, the timeout chair, they're, they're different uh, things. My, uh, uh, my wife's school teacher, she's had to use various forms. We had to use various forms with our kids. But it does not, you cannot do that in replace of what the Bible prescribes as a correct mode of Correcting your child to bring about that instruction. So, and also positive reinforcement. How do we do that? Okay, we talk about the negative and, and you know, the, the pain of the rod. What are some ways that we can re, re, positively reinforce our child? I wrote down several, and you could probably think of many of them your own. Praise your child when a task is completed, but not necessarily to perfection. Let them goof up a little. I mean, little children, when you give them a task like to make their bed, you know, it may not be regulation, uh, you, know, you know, tight, bedspread, perfectly, you know, smooth and everything. But if you know they've tried, praise them for that. Reinforce that. Um, properly reinforce proper attitudes. Children just like adults. Obedience without the proper attitude is hypocrisy. That goes for a child. That goes for an adult. When, 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 when we worship God 
externally without a pure heart, it's hypocrisy. You can read, you can read in, you read in Amos where, where, where God talks about, when he's speaking about Israel, it says, I hate your feast days. I, you know, I hate your, I hate your feast and I hate your sacrifices. And, you know, you want to say, well, God, you instituted all those. Yeah, but they're not being done with a worshipful attitude. They're not doing it out of love for me. It's, it's just a means of, uh, of ritual. So, Positively reinforce proper attitudes. Three, make them feel appreciated. Make them feel a part. Your family is not complete without your children. It's not you and your wife and the children. It's you and your wife and the children. Do things together. Make them feel a part. Make them feel appreciated. Show affection to your child. Hug them. Kiss them. Probably didn't do that as much as I should have when my kids were growing up. I apologize. Tell your children you love them. And kind of like what I said a while ago, explain to them why the negative reinforcement is being used. That's a positive. So anyway, and this takes time. And and that's where it's hard. Because there's 24 hours in a day, uh, man, you work. A lot of you women work. You have you have responsibilities. Uh, uh, sometimes when you, when you come home and there there's a situation you have to take care of, you're exasperated because you just want it to go away. And that's why it it's a daily thing. It's 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 daily staying in God's word. What, what do I need to do for my child? God, teach me how to handle this situation with my child in a way that is edifying to you and that is helpful to him to draw him closer to you. So, we talked about the discipline. Now we go to the instruction. And this goes hand in hand. So, and like I said, discipline without instruction is abusive. And uh, that word... Uh, Translated instruction is nonthesia, which um, really gives an idea of warning and consequences. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're to teach our children why they should obey. And um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke 2.52. I thought this was interesting and uh, because... I want, I want to show a contrast between Christ. And this is the passage where Jesus is around 12 and he um, uh, had went with his family to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, they leave after the feast and he, is, he stays there in the temple. Um, they go back, they find him, and they said, you know, did you not know I must be about my father's work? But in verse 52, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, stature, and stature, and in favor with God and men. Okay? Wisdom is mentally, stature physically, and in favor with God and men. That's socially, spiritually and socially. And I'm, I'm going to reverse them. I'm going to deal with the social first. But these four areas right here 
where Christ was sinless, perfect, and he grew perfectly in these areas, these are the four areas that our children are deficient in. Mentally, we have to teach and saturate our children with the truth of God. An example is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. This is God's instruction to the people of Israel. He says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down and sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What he's saying here when he says, do them when you, uh, uh, talk to them when you sit down and when you rise up and when you walk in the way, that's all the time. That, that, that's just another way of saying all the time. And when it says, bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be on the fronts of your forehead, let your children see what you believe. Live out what you're telling them in front of them. You're an example to them. Sometimes what they see you do is a bigger testimony than what you tell them to do. And in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six, this is where, like I said, the consequence of that is, is this is how uh, God says, I, he says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from which, uh, the way which I'm commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. God gives two conditions for obedience and disobedience, blessing and cursing. Just like when we do it. And we're to deal with our children how God deals with us. When we walk in the Spirit and we're doing things and we're, we're living a life that is pleasing to God, we not reap His blessing. When it's from the heart, when, it's, when, it's, when, when, when our obedience is heartfelt because it's done out of love for a holy God in His Christ, does He not bless us? So when our children obey out of love for us, and ultimately a love for God. And remember, teach your children that to obey you is to obey God. Because you're teaching them his statutes. That's just like where it says, Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. You know, children are to obey their parents at, because it's being obedient to the Lord because that's what he's commanded them to do. And also it says, and it's, and it's cursing. When there's disobedience, God chastises us, right? That's Hebrews. He chastises those whom he loves. And then you go right back to those passages in Proverbs where, uh, uh, you know, correction is to purify, not to um, uh, condemn. So, we're to saturate them with the Word of God. Also, physically, we're to nourish them, teach them. We're, we're to teach our, teach our kids, teach them to work. Their, their physical development is very important, too. We need to teach them that their body, uh, th that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For, for, a, for a believer. 
you know, and, and we're to, uh, you know, take care of our bodies. Teach them to work. It's like I've told my kids before. Work is not part of the curse. Remember, before the fall, says God planted the garden east in Eden, and he put the man there to tend it, to work it. Now, the toil of work is part of the curse. But work in and of itself is good. I mean, we can feel good after we've done an honest day's work to provide for our families. So, uh, and take care of their physical needs. Socially, where it says, you know, we're looking at that passage in Luke 2.52 where God said he grew in, uh, Christ Jesus grew in favor with God and men. With men, teach them humility. Okay? Teach your, uh, teach your children to be humble uh, uh, individuals and to love their neighbor as their self. Remember the... Uh, uh, ruler came and asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. He said, love, uh, or Jesus asked him what the greatest commandment was. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and the net right that goes with that is love your neighbor as yourself. So teach your children that. Teach them to be servants. Uh, teach them to serve others. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, from the social aspect of, of their maturity. And then spiritually. Um, our children are spirit, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.5. Okay? Like I said, we're, we're, we're born into spiritual deadness. We're born into sin. Confront sin with the goal of leading them to repentance and faith in Christ. And just to expand that a little bit more, start early. Start with what they can understand. Constantly tell your kids about the holiness of God. Constantly make your children aware of their own sinfulness. In a way, like I said, not to beat them down, but be real with them. Jonathan Edwards said when he taught children, he said, I, love, I speak about hell because it's a lot easier. It's, it's, when you speak about hell, it's very easy to strike fear in the heart of a child. Our children need to be fearful of a holy God. And I'll say this too. When, when your child expresses repentance, encourage that every time. We don't know. You know, we all come from backgrounds <laughs> a lot, lot where, you know, I had people tell me when I signed the card and said a prayer that I was a Christian and they tried to reinforce that when the Holy Spirit was not bearing witness to that. Don't give your children false assurance. Anytime they feel repentance, you say, yes, you need repentance. God knows when he, he actuates their faith. God knows when he regenerates them. So always, always encourage repentance because aren't we supposed to live our Christian lives? Aren't we constantly supposed to be going through the to the foot of the cross and, le and, and leaving, our, leaving our sins there and be conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that what sanctification is all about? So always encourage that. And really, where it says, you know, th this is the culmination of, uh, of verse 4, is, is that we lead our children... Um, Spend our time, you know, our goal is to lead our, 
children to uh, salvation and sanctification. And like I said, our goal is not just to raise nice kids. So I'd like to end with a quote from a father. And uh, I found this, and uh, it really hit home. Said this father was looking back at the, he was looking back, his children, he says, if I were starting my family again, his children were grown. He said this, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh at my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen to my children more, even the littlest one. I would be more honest about my weaknesses and not pretend perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Rather than focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things with my children. I would be more encouraging. I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things. I would speak about God more intimately. And out of every ordinary thing, of every ordinary day, I would point them to God. You know, Jesus in his parables used illustrations from every direction. He used agrarian examples. He used seeds, birds, pearls, nets, fish, trees, lilies. Every moment is a teaching moment. So, we are not to provoke our children in anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a daunting task. We have couples in our congregation that have children all the way from, uh, we, have, we have many that are, that are expecting children. We have some that children have been born. We have children all different ages. It's never too late to implement the standards that God has set forth in his word. Never. But remember. And it's not an option. This is what we're commanded to do. These are not suggestions. And in fact, what Carlton preached last week, where it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth, is a direct, direct result of what happens in what we just talked about in Verse 4, that we don't provoke our children and we raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Their part is up there. Our part is down here. But like I said, God mediates his relationship to our children through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you.